I so appreciate them. Good morning. It's good to see you. It's been a while since I've had the privilege of talking to you, so I'm glad to be here with you this morning. We don't do this very often, but um, I want to recognize someone who is here with us this morning, who is home for the holidays. Uh, This gentleman has just returned from his 17th deployment between Iraq and Afghanistan. Out of 1,430,000 active duty military personnel, this gentleman is one of the 10 most decorated servicemen in all the armed forces uh, since 9-11. He uh, has three purple hearts for wounds in action, three bronze stars for heroism under fire, two silver stars for gallantry in action, Probably best, well, best thing is that he loves Jesus. Second best thing is that he loves his wife, Leah, and he's the son of Mark and Elaine Foster, who are part of our family. Will you welcome home with me, Ranger Army Sergeant First Class, Kirk Foster. Where is he? Thank you. And since you all stood up, I don't know where he's at. Wave at us, Kirk. Where is Kirk at? Right back over here. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Wow, it's not every day you get to say that about someone. And we are very grateful um, for your service. I hope, did you have a good Christmas? Good. I hope so. If you had family come out, hopefully it's been fun or they're leaving soon. One or the other. So... Uh, I was, one of the things that often happens when you get together with family is you reminisce. It's funny, when I get together with people I haven't seen in a long time and yet know really well, we immediately just start telling the same stories that we tell every time we're together, over and, and we laugh as though we've never heard them before. Of course, some of us who tell the stories, they embellish. They get better every year. They're better stories. And I was recently reminiscing with someone about our days in elementary school, And we were talking in particular about the games that we played during recess at elementary school. How many of you remember the games that you played? Do you remember Foursquare? Wasn't that just a genius game? All you needed was a big red rubber ball and square on blacktop. Do they still play Foursquare today in schools? Oh, good. Okay, because I was going to say, kids are deprived if there's no four square. And you have all the rules, no backstops, double taps, overhands, all of those things. We played handball up against just the side of our building. It wasn't a handball court. We just bounced the ball against the side of the building and kickball. My favorite game at recess in elementary school, though, was dodgeball. Dodgeball was the best until when I was in about fifth grade, it became outlawed on our playground because so many kids were coming in from recess with nosebleeds and spalding imprinted across their forehead. (laughs) So they canceled all dodgeball for us. And that, my friends, is when America started getting soft. (laughs) When we outlawed dodgeball. I mean, now I grew up, I grew up in a time where the cool dad in the neighborhood was the one who threw all the kids in the back of the pickup and drove around corners fast to see who could hang on. That dad goes to jail now for that. 
but he was cool then. That was in the day of lawn darts. Do you remember that? Where you take metal spears and you huck them up in the air towards your friends and try to hit a circle on the grass. We've gotten soft. I bet Kirk Foster played lawn darts. <laughs> well, one of the things I was remembering as we talked about playground games is whenever we played team games, you had to divide up into teams. And you probably remember the ritual that you would go through in order to divide up into teams. There's no coaches or teachers there to do it, so the kids just come up with their own process, and that process usually consists of the two best players of whatever sport it is becoming captains. And they step out from the crowd, everyone else lines up, and then the captains begin to choose their teams one by one. So they alternate, I choose you, and I choose you. And they start with the next best players of the sport. And they go all the way down the list until there's just two little awkward kids left who are not very athletic, who maybe haven't grown into their feet yet, their feet are growing faster. And, and there's two kids left, and oftentimes what would happen is captain number one would say, I choose Billy. And captain number two would say something like, oh, you can have Johnny too. Any of you ever Johnny? Okay, yeah, only us Johnnies can relate to that. And everybody would run off and they would play the sport. But what, what people didn't know was that there was just a little bit of Johnny's spirit that died that day. Because Johnny wasn't even chosen last. Johnny was donated. I mean, here's what happened. Captain number two, in all of his 11 years of wisdom assessed the situation and determined that the odds of him winning were better if they were outnumbered than if they had Johnny on their team. And so Johnny was given away. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know what, people in our culture still to this day, it's not just on an elementary school playground, but people across the board just desire to be chosen, to be accepted to feel valued and not be rejected as though they have nothing to offer or bring to the table. Well, Jesus told a story that kind of, that kind of hints at this process for some adults. And the story is found in Matthew chapter 20. We won't, we won't read the whole story because I'm going to tell it to you, and then we'll look at a couple of verses. But it's a story that Jesus told to illustrate for us what the kingdom of heaven was like. In other words, it's what the kingdom of heaven, it's, it's what it looks like on earth if God is fully in charge. Those were the, the, a lot of the stories that Jesus told were to help us understand this is what it looks like on earth when God is fully in charge. I'm gonna paint a picture for you is what Jesus would do. And so here's the story that he told. He said that there was this guy, the guy was apparently a wealthy guy because he owned land. And on his land, he had a vineyard. And, and apparently it was a time of year where there was work to be done. Maybe it was harvest time, whatever time of year it was, there was work to be done. And so the owner of the vineyard goes into town to look for people who he can hire to come out and work in the vineyard. And so he goes to that place, that place in the town where people gather to find work. Now, these are guys who don't have their own land to work. And apparently they don't have like a normal job that they can go to every day. And so they go to this place in town where they wait in hopes that someone who needs laborers will come by and hire them just for the day so that they can make some money and they can bring food home to their family or, or be able to feed themselves. 
And so it says early in the morning, which probably means about 6 o'clock in the morning. The Jewish workday began about 6 a.m. So early in the morning, this owner of the vineyard goes to this place, and he finds some guys waiting for work, and he hires them. And they agree on a wage. The wage is a denarius, which is basically a day's wages. It's a fair price to pay someone for a full day of work. And so they agree on terms, and they load up the, well, probably not the truck, but they head out to the vineyard, and they begin to work. Well, then the story goes on, and, and Jesus, tell, in telling the story, says that the, the owner of the vineyard comes out again to town at about 9 o'clock in the morning. says the third hour, which would have been about 9 o'clock. And he's looking for more workers. So he finds some more guys who are looking for work, and he hires them, and they go work in the field. And then it says he comes out again at noon, and then he does it again at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, hires each time hiring some more guys who need work for the day to work in his vineyard. Then the story gets a little strange. I mean, it just gets a little odd, because it says that at 5 o'clock in the evening, the 11th hour, the Jewish workday would end at 6 p.m., so there's only one hour left to work. This landowner comes out one more time to find people to work in his vineyard. All right, look at verse uh, 6 of chapter 20. You can follow along on the screen of Matthew. It says, about the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Now look at their answer. Because no one has hired us. No one. No one has picked us. Now let me ask you a question. What kind of person is still standing around at five o'clock in the evening with only one hour left looking for work? What kind of person does that? I mean, maybe it's a person, certainly it's a person based on their response that has been passed over numerous times throughout the day. It's a person who who just hasn't been chosen by anyone else to work. It's the kind of person that no one else wanted to hire. The kind of person that no one throughout that day saw enough value in that they thought it was worth paying them to do work for them. And so they're still standing there. Everyone else has passed by them. Now let me ask you a different question. What kind of landowner goes out looking for people to hire at five o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, what do you think he possibly hoped to find? He had to know he's not gonna find the cream of the crop because they went early in the day. Who does he hope to find going out with one hour left in the day to work looking for workers? I mean, let's be honest. What kind of standards could this guy possibly have when it comes to hiring workers to work in his field? Are you starting to get a little picture? of how this illustrates what the kingdom of God is like and when God's in charge, how God operates. It's totally different than the way we would operate. It's totally different than any kingdom of this world. It's a unique kingdom where everything's turned upside down or probably more accurately, right side up. What kind of person is still looking for workers at five o'clock? Well, then the story just gets absurd. It just becomes absurd because the, the day comes to an end and the you know bell sounds or the dinosaur tail is pulled like in the Flintstones, I don't know, whatever, it alerts them that, so workday's over. And so the landowner says, everybody line up, it's time to get paid. 
And so he lines them up, starting with the people who have worked one hour. That's it, just one hour. And he starts to pay them. And he pays them a denarius, the same exact amount of money that he promised to pay the people who have worked all day long for him. All day. So the people who've worked all day see this. You know what they're thinking? (laughs) Sweet. If he's paying them a denarius, who knows how much he's going to pay us? Well, as he works his way down the line, guess what they get paid? A denarius. The same exact money. So he paid the people who worked one hour the same amount of money he paid the people who worked all day long. And the union went ballistic. (laughs) And so do we. Right? I mean, in our capitalistic culture, we read that and we say, that is not fair. That is absurd. That's, that's grace. It's absurd. It's scandalous. It doesn't make any sense, and yet that's a picture of the kingdom of heaven. It's not a commentary on, on an economic system. It's a commentary on God's grace that gives us what none of us deserve. I don't know about you, but I don't want what's fair. I don't want what I deserve. I know what I deserve. I want grace. And that's a picture of God's kingdom. So many of you were here a little little less than four months ago when it was announced that the only strip club in Fort Collins was closing and that Timberline was pursuing the purchase of that building for the purpose of planting a church in that building. And, and just to give you kind of an update, as of December 16th, Timberline has closed on that building, which is exciting, and soon a massive remodel, as you can imagine, will begin. Um, <laughs> lots of work to do there. Uh, some have asked the question, of, uh, is that a good location for a church? And the answer is not really, except for the kind of church that we want to plant. It's located, I won't ask how many of you know where it's at because you wouldn't be honest anyway, but it's on the north side of Fort Collins, just north of Mulberry, um, in an industrial area. It's fairly close to the Murphy Center, which is, is owned and operated by Surf 68, an organization that we partner greatly with that is a huge partner with Timberline as well. Um, It backs up to a trailer park that we really want to love and serve in the best way we can. We are wanting to plant a church that will reach out to the most underserved population of our community. And so for us, it's an ideal location to to plant this church. Now, this new church, is a, it's a separate church. It's a separate entity from Timberline. We'll forever be relationally connected, but it's actually a, a separate church from Timberline, and I have the privilege of, of leading that church. And so we've been meeting once a month as a launch team, and starting January 12th, we're going to begin meeting weekly together at Everyday Joe's Coffee Shop in Old Town on Mason there at 1130 after their service is over. They've graciously opened their doors to us and we're going to continue to shape vision and build community and develop a platform where we can serve people in our community who are in desperate need of being loved and served. And so we're excited about that. But what brings me to this message and the reason I share all of that is because when the announcement came out, There was an article that came out in the paper. And how many of you have recognized nowadays that it's not just the print paper, but you can read the news online? Have you discovered this invention? (laughs) Yes. And that's awesome, except for people can actually tell you what they think 
online. And there were a lot of people who expressed what they thought. And one of the recurring things that I saw um, were, were statements like, great, just what Fort Collins needs, another church. And, and multiple people who asked the question, why do we need another church? And I've been thinking about that and grappling with that since I read those comments because I think that's a very legitimate question for people in our community to ask. Why do we need another church? And the tendency might be for us to get a little defensive. But the truth is, that's a legitimate question. I, I think it's legitimate for us to say, why, can't, why hasn't the church in general loved our city so well and so tangibly that, that, that there would be this, this heart that says, awesome, another church. Even if they don't believe the way we believe, there's a value that's been added to the community. And so we've been grappling with those kinds of questions. How can we so tangibly, demonstrably love this community that they're actually grateful that we moved into the neighborhood? What would that look like? Now, I know we could say, I don't know if you know this, but a study came out less than a year ago that said Fort Collins was the 15th most unchurched city in the United States. This was a surprising article. It surprised me that Fort Collins, that was the rank. But, but that's not really why we're planting a church, because we want to get everyone into a church service on Sunday morning. Our heart and our desire is to plant a church that is especially for people who may feel like those workers who had stood around all day and no one wanted them. That's our heart in planting this church. For people who feel like no one else picks them, who feel rejected and neglected and hurt and abused and maybe angry and bitter. We wanna go to the darkest corners of our city to let people know that not only have they been chosen, but they've been chosen by the God of creation who knows everything about them and loves them anyway. That God looks at them, looks at you, no matter what your baggage, no matter what your pain, no matter what your rebellion, no matter what your current situation, and says, I choose you. My grace is for you, for whosoever would receive and embrace that grace. I choose you. That's why we're planting that church. A couple of months ago, I sat out in front of a coffee shop on the patio having coffee with a dancer who was dancing at the club that closed down right up until it closed and was, is currently dancing at another club in a different city. She hates it and wants to get out of it, but she's got three kids. She's a single mom. She's got bills to pay, and she's trying to figure out how. And it's, it's very different when you are sitting across the table from a very real person with a very real story. All of a sudden, all of the judgmental, self-righteous crap comes off, and you begin to see a real life. Sorry, that's, we say that word at Genesis Project. Um, shouldn't say that, Timberline. We'll bleep that out of the video or whatever. <laughs> all of a sudden, all that stuff goes away, and you start seeing a real-life human being. She wrote, a, she wrote her life story in a book, a biography of her life. I read the book. It's extremely raw, but it's extremely real. And it starts as a story of abuse from the time she was about four years old that led to all sorts of circumstances and situations and pain. Multiple times, my wife and I both broke down crying, reading the story of her life. 
And, and, and as I sat there talking to her, I, can't, I couldn't help but think, we want to plant a church that will embrace and love this gal and let her know, despite of all the past, there is a God who loves you and chooses you. There is a God that offers a different story than the story that we choose to live. He offers new beginnings. That's really our vision with this new church, is we want to create space where people can discover new beginnings through transforming relationships with Jesus and with other people. That's our heart's cry, because that's what Jesus does, isn't it? He's the one who makes all things new. And every one of us in this room, probably multiple times, have experienced starting over, a new beginning in our lives. And that's what Jesus does. That's what the gospel is about. And we want people like this new friend of mine and my wife's to know that God chooses broken people. In a building where so many dreams died, we want to see new dreams begin to be dreamed. Spiritually, yes, but also financially, vocationally. We're dreaming of opportunities that will teach life skills and job skills and give people something to put on a resume and there's incredible partnerships coming together for what God is, is envisioning in us to do in that place, in that building. Sometime in 2014, I don't know when it will be, but we're excited about that day coming. That's what the kingdom is all about. It's about a God who seeks and pursues broken, disillusioned humanity in order to offer them a better story, in order to choose them for his loving care and his loving rule in their lives. So we're asking the question as Genesis Project, what if we were to love our city in such a self-sacrificing, self tangible way? that people who don't even believe the way we believe will be grateful that we're there. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It doesn't say let your light so shine before men that they may hear your articulate sermons and glorify your Father in heaven. It says that they might see your tangible good deeds, your tangible expressions of God's love and God's kingdom, and somehow in those expressions of action, their hearts are lifted Godward, and they see a different perspective because in a cold, painful world, love just shines bright. It's an incredible picture. One of the things we did for Christmas Eve, which was really fun, is we got a bunch of people together who are, who are coming together to shape the community that will be Genesis Project. That's the name of the church that will be up there. And, and we asked them to bake cookies. And so we baked cookies, and it was an adventure because my wife had a neck procedure, so she couldn't do it. I got sick before Christmas, and I baked like 12 dozen cookies, and I have new respect for baking cookies. I just thought you open up the little plate and eat them, but there's a lot of work that goes into baking cookies. And so we, I think we had 70 or 80 dozen cookies, and we just met together in the parking lot of the building up there, and we just decided to go give those cookies, they were packaged a dozen each, to people who were working on, th on Christmas Eve. 
And so we just scattered. We hit some folks at the hospital. We hit some fire stations and, and restaurants. And my wife and I, and one of the guys who's part of this community, his name's Pashi, he went with us. And we just went up North College and started hitting um, gas stations and liquor stores and tattoo parlors and little motels where there's just like one person working on Christmas Eve by themselves. It's amazing what a dozen cookies. They hadn't even tasted the cookies. Hopefully that didn't hurt our expression of love. But before even tasting it, that someone would just think enough about someone standing behind a glass window taking money at a gas station all by themselves on Christmas Eve, that someone would think about them and say, here's some cookies on us. I hope you have a Merry Christmas. And you know what it said to me? It said that in the midst of a lot of darkness, it doesn't take a whole lot of light to shine really bright, really bright. Do we, do we understand the potential that's just in this room alone of how bright light can shine if through good deeds, tangible demonstrations and expressions of God's love, we could shine light into the darkness of the world in which we live. We want to give back to our community, especially the north side of Fort Collins, so that they're grateful that we moved into the neighborhood. So, so here's how I'm gonna to begin to wrap up our thoughts here. I wanna wrap up as we go into a new year with just a challenge for you, okay? And you have to understand that I'm planting a new church so I can pretty much say whatever I want today. So, uh, <laughs> I just want, I'm, and, and this challenge is for me as well, but I really wanna challenge you. I wanna to talk to you just for a moment about what I believe is one of the greatest threats facing the American church. And I just want to tell you, I don't believe it's our culture. I don't believe it's moral decay in our culture. I don't think it's the threat of losing religious freedoms. I don't think it's Obamacare. And I don't think it's whether or not Phil Robertson is on Duck Dynasty. <laughs> Can I just tell you, the greatest threats to the church have always been from the inside, not the outside. You take the church and you throw them away in a basement in communist China and you make it illegal and punishable by death if you claim the name of Jesus and you know what the church does? It thrives, it explodes. Our greatest challenges are not those that come from the outside, it's what happens on the inside and the American church is especially susceptible to some of the things that can attack us from the inside and I think one of the greatest threats to the American church is just simply boredom. It's just boredom. It's that we settle in to safe, comfortable, boring religious lives instead of truly following Jesus. It's that we substitute the American dream for God's dream for our lives. And we just get stuck in this religious rut of going through the motions of every day at work, at home, at church, and we compartmentalize all those segments of our lives, and we just get stuck in this boring life that is far short of what Jesus means when Jesus says, come follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me on this adventure of being an agent of transforming the communities in which we live. I just want to challenge you. There may indeed, I don't know, there may be a growing hostility in our culture towards the church, but I know for a fact that in the culture in which we live, there is a desperate cry in our broken world to be chosen, to be embraced, to be loved, 
in spite of their brokenness, in spite of their baggage, in spite of mistakes, in spite of rebellion and whatever else. And at some point, the church has to ask the question, have we deserved a lot of the hostility that has come our way from our own hypocrisy, our own self-righteousness, our selective holiness, or just our plain apathy? Why is it that whenever we're asked publicly about sin, we start with someone else's sin? You know, if someone wants to interview me about sin, I'll start with mine, and I'll never get time to get to yours. I'll talk about the things I struggle with. Maybe some of that hostility is there. Now, I know, and you're going to say, well, the Bible says that the world will hate you because of me. The challenge is I rarely meet people who, who hate me because of Jesus, who hate the church because of Jesus. I meet a lot of people who hate the church because of the church. So how about if this year we lay aside defensiveness and we start asking the question, what does it look like for me to let my light shine? What does it look like for me to come out of a rut of boring religiosity and to say yes to the adventure of following Jesus and to love people in such tangible ways that it actually causes them to question there must be something different about this person. And I don't know what it looks like for you. It looks different for everyone. In your job, in your career, in your business, in your neighborhood, in your community, in the ministry you're a part of in your church, whatever it is, what would it look like for you to say this coming year, I'm going to live fully the life that God has called me to live, surrendered fully to what he's calling me to. I'm just going to begin to ask the question. I would challenge you just to begin to ask, God, what does it look like for me to fully live the life you've called me to live? But be careful. If you ask that question, he'll begin to show you. And he's going to lead you in some way, some form, somehow. He's going to lead you to broken people, whether they have a whole bunch of money or no money, because brokenness is no respecter of persons. He's going to lead you to people who need hope, who need new beginnings. The last thing that I just want to challenge you with, and this is really more, this is for the few people who maybe be in this room. Maybe there's more than a few who feel like they're one of those workers who stood around all day and no one said, I choose you. Who feel like no one wants them. Who maybe feel like you're not talented enough or good enough or good looking enough or smart enough or rich enough. Who feel like maybe your past disqualifies you or maybe your current present situation disqualifies you. I want you to know and what matters most to me today of everything I've said is this. I, I want you to see like you've never seen before that God loves you and that he chooses you to be a recipient of his grace. And no, it's not fair, and no, you don't deserve it, and no, you can't earn it. That's why it's grace. And he offers it to whosoever would by faith just receive his grace, his forgiveness. What he longs for more than anything else in the world is simply to heal the relationship between you and him that's broken, to reconcile you. That's what he longs for. And he's already accomplished what needs to be accomplished for that to happen. You just have to say yes to it. Would you join me as we pray? Father, I lift up to you, my friends in this room. I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you for the presence of your spirit that speaks to us that even gently but firmly convicts us. And God, I pray for those of us in this room who are just recognizing that, 
Lord, we've really settled into some kind of rut and we're just going through the motions. God, we just start by acknowledging that. And, and we take that step of faith of just asking you to begin to show us what it means to truly walk in the way of Jesus, to truly follow you, to not just add a religious component to our lives, but to truly deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to say, my life, all that I have, all that I am, belongs to you. I'm gonna go where you take me. I'm gonna follow you. And then God, would you just begin to unfold what that means and what it looks like so that we can take steps of faith in the direction of your heart. God, I also pray for people in this room who feel like they've been passed over, who have convinced themselves for whatever reason, and maybe it's because of the things that have been spoken into them and over them their whole life by other people, and they've convinced themselves there's nothing of value in their lives. How could God ever love them? Maybe it's because of of things they've done and they wonder how could God ever forgive me God would you just somehow penetrate that fortress that they've created and get right into their heart and, and let them know like they've never known before how much you love them and how desperately you want to reconcile them to genuine relationship with you and, and offer them a new story to live. God, bring hope into the hearts of people who have given up or maybe are close to just giving up today. God, thank you for loving us. None of us deserve it. We're so grateful for your grace. We thank you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Aren't you thankful that's true? Let me, I want to just leave you with this. We, we sang, you make all things work together for my good. He always does that for a purpose. Throughout the story of God, it is an unfolding story of God blessing people so they would be a blessing to others. So take the good that God brings into your life and be a conduit of that good to touch the lives of other people. All right? I love you. It's been an honor to speak into your life. If you need prayer, we have people who would love to pray with you. You can come forward for prayer. Otherwise, God bless you as you go. Happy New Year to you.